This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we firmly believe the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for parents to do the same, to focus on their own fulfillment, happiness, health, and engagement, and awareness in their own lives. By doing this, we believe that you can create your own vision of successful parenting, raising kids for the future and the present. Today's show is building resilience in children and teens. And I am more than pleased to welcome Dr. Kenneth Ginsburg to the show. I have a lot to say about Dr. Ken. He is a renowned leader in the field of resilience and medicine. Uh, Dr. Ken is a professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and at the Perlman School of Medicine in the University of Pennsylvania. He has an adolescent medicine practice that addresses adolescent behavioral issues, and he practices social adolescent medicine with the special attention of prevention and recognition that social context and stressors impact both physical and emotional health, which we're going to be talking about today. Dr. Ginsburg is also the medical director of Covenant House uh, in Pennsylvania, which is a care system that serves homeless, street, and marginalized youth in Philadelphia. He's developed the teen-centered method, which uses qualitative and quantitative methodology that helps youth to generate, prioritize, and explain their own proposed solutions to social problems um, and teach clinicians how to better serve them, all in line of building resilience. And he has, among uh, several other things, an amazing book, which I'm holding right here, called A Parent's Guide to Building Resilience in Children and Teens, Giving Your Child Roots and Wings, which was originally published in 2011 by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's now on its third edition. And having read that book several times and hearing Dr. Ken speak, I'm just so excited to have you on the show today, Dr. Ken. Thanks for joining us. Total honor to be here. I loved your introduction, not of me, but of your philosophy. I couldn't agree more emphatically. And uh, you left on my greatest credential, which is that I'm a daddy. Oh, of two girls, right? Of two wonderful, uh, actually young adults now, right? Yeah, they're 22. Yes. Another reason uh, I resonated with what I hear you write about and speak because you come as a, not only as a practitioner and a physician, but as um, a father and a human. Um, And you really resonate, I I think, at that level which uh, is a tribute to how you're able to uh, connect with people. Tell us about how, how does the physician going to medical school end up in, uh, you know, this area of, of medicine and then resilience and, and being a leader in the field? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician because I love kids and I used to teach nursery school. I was a child development major. It was always, um, a really big issue of my life. I uh, I glow when I see children. They inspire me literally as they walk down the street. Adolescents are people who 
inspire me on a, on a different level. They're young people with so much possibility. There's so much opportunity to shape their lives. And yet lots of folks feel uncomfortable with them. Sometimes people roll their eyes when they think about adolescence. Sometimes they even cross the street. And that is so undermining to them. And so as a doctor, my job is to keep kids safe, certainly to keep them alive. But that didn't feel like enough. Um, we really have to think about how to prepare all kids, every single kid to thrive and to lead us into the future. And for me, I certainly do a lot of work directly with young people, but the linchpin is going to be parents and other loving, caring adults in young people's lives. So if I'm going to affect the future, you've got to affect the adolescence. If I'm going to work with adolescents, you've got to understand the power that comes from effective parenting and loving adults uh, being that scaffolding that young people need to develop. Absolutely. And I, and I think when I, uh, when I first read your book and it was, it was so in line with what we're talking about with parent footprint, because so much of your book, you were, you were talking to parents, even though you were talking about adolescents, you were talking to parents about how to be as sort of the, you know, one of the key indicators of course, other adults, which we'll talk about, you know, are, are, remain key in building resilience in kids. But how important it is for us parents to think about what we're doing and what we're not doing. And we are the key, I guess, driver of our kids building resilience. You know, it comes down to us. Absolutely. It's about them launching into adulthood, right? We're the guides along the journey that get them prepared to launch. That's who we are. And the bottom line of resilience, literally the bottom line is, does a young person know that there's at least one adult, more is better, who believe in them without condition and hold them to high expectations? Because a young person who has that, that unconditional love, that high expectation, that young person also has security. And when they have security, mm -hmm. they're able to spend the energy to try to answer that fundamental question of adolescence, which is who am I? So parents and other loving adults are everything to young people's possibility of having a successful launch. You know, and it always makes me think of the, the, the idea that love conquers all. And then those of us who work in these related fields realize, you know, wished that love would conquer all. But it, it, love is necessary, right? Love is absolutely a necessary ingredient. And then beyond that, we have to help them build the skills, which is, you know, you talk about several skills that we need to help them build. Absolutely. Would you think I was a freak if I said, can I define love for you? You know, beyond the spiritual meaning of love, beyond the uh, feeling that actually have no words, let's define it so that we understand what it is that creates security. I believe that love is seeing somebody as they deserve to be seen, as they really are, not based on the mm. behaviors they might be displaying in the moment, and certainly not based on what they're producing. When young people are seen as they really, really are in all of their goodness, in everything that is right and good about them already, it helps them see themselves. And when you see yourself, 
then you can navigate the world. People can throw, um, you know, uh, distractions at you, but you can still stay rooted in who you are. And that is what only parents can really, really do. Only parents can know who that, everything that is good and right about that child, because it began showing when they were two years old and it doesn't go away when they're teenagers. And it's that anchor that loving parents give that means the world. Wow. Okay. Love everyone. Love is seeing people for who they are, which helps them to see themselves. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so as a parent and having worked with parents for a very long time, what do you think are some of the obstacles that us parents are facing? I think some of them are historical and some of them I think are might be uh, more with our modern times of parenting that, that, that keep us from actually doing what we intend to do, like build these resilient, successful kids. Like what are some of the obstacles that parents have? Gosh, I have so many answers to that question. Where do I begin? But let's begin by framing teenagers the way they deserve to be seen. Because among the obstacles are parents buying into the mythology about adolescence. You know, the mythology that says, you know, adolescents hate me, parents aren't important in, in, in adolescents' lives, they only care about their teenagers. That is factually untrue. Study after study, or just talk to a teenager. We know factually that adolescents care more about their uh, parents' view of them than anything else, including peers, including their peers' mm -hmm. views of them. And so we got to get rid of that myth that parents don't matter. Parents matter unbelievably. The other myth we have to get rid of is the myth of teen invincibility or invulnerability. Because if you really believe that, then your next line is going to be, um, well, you know, these kids, they... Uh, they, um, you can't talk any sense into them. It's a complete myth. Think about your own adolescence. Look at what's happening in the world today. Can you possibly look at teenagers and say they don't care? That they're self-centered? Right. Could you possibly say that? Could you possibly say that they think they're invincible? So we got to get rid of those myths. We got to stop rolling our eyes when we see teenagers. We got to uh, stop absorbing the fear because, you know, the, the, the mother in front of you in line, when you, when you have a, that 11-year-old daughter and she's like leaning on your shoulders and the mother in front of you with a 15-year-old turns around and says, hang on tight, she's going to become a monster you may not recognize. We got to stop listening to that. Because in truth, mm -hmm. if you turn to that same mother complaining about their child and say, tell me what you love about your child, tell me the best thing, she will melt, begin crying and tell you all that's wonderful. People tell their worst stories and then we believe them, and then we begin fearing our own kids. And mm -hmm. that is one of the things, you know, as, as you know, Dr. Dan, at Children's Hospital, we're going to be launching soon the Center for Parent and Teen Communication. You know, a multi-layered yes. internet-based site with videos and lots of information. It's not just about parenting. It is about getting parents to understand how much they really matter and refute these myths about adolescence that are, that are, you know, cultural myths, but they're not based on reality. Mm -hmm. The myths and also what you said about um, accepting, accepting your child, accepting your teen so they can see themselves without all of this fear. And then, you know, how hard is it for us adults to accept ourselves 
right? To accept ourselves as as uh, as part of this process. You know, it's um, it's funny because that would would be the next point. That's that's exactly right. You know, we have to begin. <clears throat> looking at ourselves as the reflection in our children's eyes. And there's so many different ways that you could go with that statement. You know, the first thing you're going to go is like, okay, you're always a role model 24 seven. That's absolutely true. But it's more than that. Human beings are not made out of plastic. You know, human beings are not perfect. Human beings mm -hmm. struggle, they wrestle, they're made of flesh, and they try to figure out how to get past obstacles and be the best person they can. And unfortunately, what happens, there's so many factors that are making parents feel incredibly guilty now. They're feeling like if they're not you know, completely focused on their children all the time, that their children are somehow going to implode. This sense of guilt, this sense of, um, oh my God, I'm not the perfect role model, backfires not only on ourselves and our own well-being, but even on our children. I want mm -hmm. my children to know that I'm made of flesh and blood and that, of course, I struggle. I want them to see me learn how to fall down and recover. I want them to watch as I navigate obstacles. I don't want them to see me as perfect. But unfortunately, we live in a society that that's not the message parents are hearing, and therefore, mm -hmm. they don't accept themselves, and therefore, they're going to put on an image that actually isn't the image that's going to help their children build their resilience. Right. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because it, our kids just see us as we are. They didn't get to grow up with us and see all of the uh, all of the struggles. Right. And us at our uh, more difficult times developmentally. So if we're projecting that, you know, we got everything under control and we always do and always do everything right on top of just being an adolescent with all of the development and social pressures and identity and all that. Now we have this mirror Look, that we're, they're looking up to thinking they have to be that, which isn't even necessary. It's not the story. It's not the whole story. It's not nearly the whole story. And it, and it can harm our kids better that they, I'm not saying you have to go and tell your kids everything you've done wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that, but be human. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's in the struggle of humanity that our children learn and that they learn to feel safe and that they understand that life is a journey, not an event. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the, the question that I get a lot and I'm certain you get a lot is this, um, when do I let them struggle and you know, what is enabling them and caring for them? And just because it's because I love them so much versus, you know, when do I need to allow them to struggle and to deal with things on their own? Right. Tough question. How do, how do you answer that question? I actually have a metaphor that I use to describe to families, and it's about the puzzle to kind of let them know when they need to protect and when they need to get out of the way. Right. So fundamental question of adolescence is, who am I? Imagine that's a thousand piece puzzle. It's laid out on the table. How do you begin putting together a puzzle? The edges. We've mm -hmm. got to give our kids very clear edges. Very, we have to monitor them very clearly, and they have to understand why those rules exist. And those edges have to be about safety and morality. What's the next thing, Dr. Dan, when you put together a puzzle, after you put together the edges, what do you begin doing? You begin grouping the pieces in the middle, right? The reds, yep. like, you know, is right. this By red color. a balloon? A f Go ahead. 
Oh, I said by color. You, yeah, you got yeah, it. Yeah, by color, right? Is it is it a balloon? Is it a cherry? Is it a fire engine? Then, then when you're trying to figure out the answer to that, what do you do? You cheat by looking at the picture on the box. And <laughs> that's who we are. So when we create clear edges, they know how to put together their puzzle. And those edges can't be random. They have to be safety and morality. When we are role models, then they know what the picture on the box is supposed to look like. What's in the middle? All those inner pieces within safe and moral bounds, those jagged pieces where you put them together, you take them apart, you try again. That's their job. That's where you get out of mm-hmm. the way. If you don't mm-hmm. get out of the way within the boundaries of safety and morality, and when you're clearly being a role model, if you don't get out of the way, your kid's never going to learn to fail and recover. And the right. message they're receiving is I don't think you're capable. Instead, we want them to receive, hey, my job's to protect you. My job's to role model for you. And you got that. You got the rest. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's key. The get out of the way is really hard with our current generation of parents. I've got three teenagers. I'm, I'm in this too. So I, I, it's getting out of the way seems to have these scary future ramifications for their kids, high school, their few college, their future. The stakes seem so high. And then what we're forgetting is we actually need them to have these skills now or all of that stuff later is going to be even much harder, much, much harder. And yeah, the other thing that I really, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say you're parenting the 35-year-old. Remember that. You're parenting them to be 35, right. 40, and 50. And if you're only parenting them to be 18, you're going to feel like, like what matters most is a grade when that's not what matters most. It's these other life skills, these soft skills that are really the hardest skills to develop. But these are the skills we want to develop in our kids. And, and they develop them by not by us hovering, but us being kind of like on the, chi- on the sidelines cheering, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone wants tools these days. And your book is, is packed with tools. And I think what, what also makes me smile um, as, as I read your suggestions is some of the, the biggest suggestions or, quote, tools besides love, which you've already covered. You've also, you just said sometimes we got to get out of their way. And the other thing that you said is just listen. Matters more often than what we even say, just listening to them. Absolutely. You want to be the kind of parent whose kid's going to talk to you because that's what, how you're really going to be there if they're like straying towards the edge. And the probably most important thing you can do to be the kind of parent that kids will talk to is be the kind of parent who listens to them. Because when you listen to them, it shows you're trusting them. You're being a sounding board. And as a result, they're more likely to come up with the solutions when you talk at them that they're your solutions, they tend to rebel because they got to know they can do this on their own. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's strategic listening, right? It's not just like listening with no guidance. There's how to listen strategically so they're going to talk to you and that you can help prepare them. Because the other point is, remember, the best protection is not hovering, it's preparation. Mm-hmm helicoptering and hovering is not anything we want to be intentionally or unintentionally, which is different than caring and loving different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, okay. So what's great about our community of listeners, which are aligned with what we're talking about, because these are people who do realize and are working on themselves in the context of raising 
wonderful, loving, compassionate kids. And people were all looking for tools. So even though I said, you know, there's a lot of these non-tools which are guiding philosophies, can you give our listeners a few nuggets of what we would call put in the tool set of parenting resilience? Yeah. So first, don't lecture. Well, let's back up. You said the most important thing. Listen, that is a tool. Trust me. It is a tool. It's how to get your kid talking. The second is don't lecture. Kids don't hear a word that you say when you lecture. They hear womp, 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 and then you die. Learn <laughs> to break the lecture down into simple concepts one piece at a time so they get it, get it, got it. The next thing I would say is when we're talking about preparation, give them skills. That's the way to build confidence. The way to build confidence is to help them develop the skills, the skills to deal with academics, the skills to navigate peer pressure, the skills to look at someone who's a potential boss and say, ma'am, I'm the one for the job. We prepare them with these skills, organizational skills. And then if I had to pick one more, it would be get them prepared for the fact that the world can be tough, right? And the measure of us as human beings is what choices we make when the world is tough. So we want to develop in them coping strategies because basically everything we fear during adolescence, you know, um, drug use, cutting, eating disorders, sex out of the context of relationships, all that stuff works, Dr. Dan, all that stuff like feels good and it helps you escape. But so telling kids what not to do, that, that's not going to work. What does work is building in our kids, starting at like literally the youngest ages. Like if I'm going to prepare you how to be a parent of an adolescent, I want to talk to you when you're 16, but dang, if I could talk to you when your kid is two, it'd be even that much more effective. Because if we can raise kids with like this whole repertoire of positive coping strategies, so that when life gets tough, and it will, they'll have the tools, they'll have the tools, the path of least resistance, they'll naturally move in the direction of things that are going to still make them feel good, but they won't destroy them. Mm-hmm. So don't lecture, build skills now as young as possible for life, because we know life is hard. It throws us curveballs. We can't get away from that. And yeah. build these coping skills and strategies so they'll be able to pivot. They'll have a, 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 a problem-solving mindset. They'll figure out, how can I get by this instead of curling over and you know in fetal position? And again, of course, yeah. this is a process, and that's what we're there for as their parents to help them along this process. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Ken, it's time. It's time for the parent footprint moment question, which I know you have a huge uh, bin to pull from. So the question is, think of a time when you became aware of something about yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your kids. You know, I was thinking about this, and um, there's two categories. One is, you know, the first time I saw the extent of my kids' compassion. But I'm going to tell you about the day that was probably the most important moment in my life. Being a nurturant father 
was unbelievably important to me. I had all of these degrees that prepared me to do so. But the reality was that early in my children's um, infancy, the only person who could really comfort them when they, was a, when they were upset was my wife. And it really made me mm-hmm. feel kind of empty, right? There was a moment when Celia, my wife, was gone and the kids were seven months old and one of them, Tali, was absolutely hysterical. Um, and I did everything daddies know how to do, you know, the songs, the bouncing on the shoulders, the funny faces, and nothing was working. And then after a while, she just looked up at me with a face that I will never forget as long as I live. And she just kind of looked at me, her, her eyes um, uh, above her forehead kind of crinkled up. And she was like, actually, you'll do. And she just put her head on my chest. And I swear that that moment is the moment that is the highlight of my entire life. It's the moment I really became a dad because I realized that I had within me the ability to kind Uh, of nurture and protect this other human being. And, you know, it was amazing. Wow. Wow. And I could see, I could imagine you going through more of those times as they became verbal with their own development and through adolescence as well, when you're had to dig deep and like, I can do this, I can do this. And and they accept you. I have to tell you that I have loved my children more every single day, including and especially during the adolescent years, because there's just more of them to love. Development is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle to watch your children become wiser, to turn into adults. And even during adolescence, what a blessing to see them struggle for their own independence as, you, as you're beginning to see the men and women your kids are about to be. So, yes, I am always tested and see the miracle. But what, Dr. Dan, what you and I have to make sure people get is you might write books on this stuff, you might be an expert on this stuff, but we all still struggle. This ain't yes. easy. But yes, we can. But rooted in love, rooted in love, we're going to get through it. And and uh, we're we're irreplaceable forces in kids' lives. Ah, uh, that uh, yes, yes, yes. Thanks, Dr. Ken, for your wisdom, for your time, for the work that you do throughout uh, the country and beyond internationally. And um, so generous with your time and in your information. And so please tell everyone where they can follow the the launch of this amazing project, because it's all about building resources, right, and education. Tell everyone where they can keep finding your stuff. Right. So... Um, my books can probably best be found on fosteringresilience.com, fosteringresilience.com. Um, the Center for Parent and Teen Communication will be launching in May or June, um, and that will be on parentandteen.org. Um, and uh, we hope that we're going to give lots of good information for parents out there about how to be effective, about how to get through struggles, and about the true story of how wonderful adolescents can be. Thank you so much, Dr. Ken. As I, uh, when I originally reached out to you, I have to say this again, like you, uh, your work, uh, you, you inspire me and also uh, your way of being just so genuine uh, with uh, your patients and the people you speak with. 
I just can't say enough about that. And I feel that is why you have been able to touch so many, um, as well as myself, which has impacted my family in a positive way. So I thank you for the work you're doing and for sharing some time with us this morning. You're way too kind. Thank you for all the work you're doing and for all the parents who are committed to being there for their kids. All right, everyone. A great show that I don't want to end. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Check out our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to help you become more aware, be the kind of person you want to be, and raise the kids the way you want them to be for the present and their future. Think about being the person you want your child to become. They're watching, they're listening, they're observing all the time. You can do this. And as always, I will leave you with the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?